podcast about people who take care of people and all the things that lift us up. This is part two of our uh, series about leaving the massage profession, people who are considering leaving, who have left, and how that decision gets made uh, and what happens after. Last last time you heard uh, Corey Rivera and Carrie Jordan and I talking about this in our own careers. And this, this episode is the much-awaited voices of the people from the wild, the wild people. So we hope you enjoy hearing um, stories. And we thank very much the people who talked to us for this episode. Nancy Keeney-Smith, Justin Magnuson, Sherry Bergen, and Ruth Werner. You can hear their full interviews on our Patreon. You can join our Patreon for just $5 a month. Get all kinds of bonus material, including the full interviews from each one of these folks, um, as well as lots of bonus episodes and goodies in there. Um, So please check that out at patreon.com slash interdisciplinary. And of course, even though this is a compilation episode, we are not going to be doing this without a pun. So y'all, I just learned that I have a brand new skill. I can cut wood just by looking at it. Yeah, I saw it with my own eyes. All right. (laughs) If you are still with us, and I hope you are, um, let's get started talking to the people of the wild, the wild people about the massage profession and when it might be time to leave the massage profession. Uh, I am going to give every each one of these voices a chance to introduce themselves, say a little bit about their career, and then we'll, we'll move in with some more uh, juicy topics. Thank you for being here. So, Nancy Keeney-Smith, thank you for being here. I'm, um, I'm more than happy. Thank <laughs> you. Um, and... Could you start by just just telling me a little bit about your massage and writing career? Oh, okay. Um, I went to massage school later in life in my early 40s. So I graduated uh, 2002, 2003. Um, And the massage career took a turn towards working with scar tissue primarily with um, with the burn community. Um, and I, there were a lot of people that influenced me and helped me, Julie Spiegel with the Spiegel Burn Foundation. So there was some um, information that I had that I was very excited about. So I was able to turn that into um, working with other therapists and going to some pediatric burn camps which we did some research with the kids and had a research piece published in 2008. So that community really took my heart, but I started noticing there were a lot of similarities in working with second, third and fourth degree um, burn scars as there were when I was seeing, for example, post-mastectomy scarring. So that kind of made my practice took its own turn towards working more with scar tissue. Then I got interested in lymphatics, was able to put those two together and put some classes together. 
met Kathy Ryan, um, wrote a book on traumatic scar tissue with her mainly writing and cleaning up my, my information as it came along. Um, and it's, it was, as I am retired now, um, as I look back on it, I was just very blessed to be able to work with the communities that I worked with and see some really positive results. So I stopped officially doing massage in, at the end of July of 2021. Oh. Okay, it's only so it's only been like six months at this Correct. point. Correct. Yeah, and um, you'd been doing massage for 24 years. Yeah, I, I, I started school in July of 1997. My name is Sherry Bergen, and I've been practicing since uh, August of 1996. I'm working in Alexandria, Virginia at okay. Alexandria Myotherapy. And I've been okay. there the entire time. Yeah, I hired on there very soon after I graduated. Um, a lot of um, what's uh, serendipitous connections. I've always loved touch. And I used to do massage for my friends in college and, you know, just, just dinking around. And so it felt like a decent fit for me. So, and I still remember, I tell the story a lot. I still remember I was at my afternoon job. I was a nanny for a young family with two little girls and I was waiting for the kids to get home from school. And I'm reading the Seattle weekly. And on the very last page, there's a little, you know, that where, where the little like advertisements are. And it, I mean, really, all it said was go to massage school, call Brian. And I still remember the phone number. That's how deeply ingrained this moment is in my head. It was like, well, duh, that's what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and I did. I mean, I called the number and I, you know, I think I started classes the next week. It had already been underway, underway for like a week. So, uh, or something. Anyway, it started up right away. Um. And I was really, really surprised to discover that my favorite part of going to massage school was learning this. By the time I graduated and went into practice, I was also teaching at the school. Um, and that was a great combination career. Uh, you know, and what I learned early on is that massage therapy is a great job to have at the same time as doing another thing, because at least my experience was that most people don't thrive doing only massage. It wears out your body. It wears out your head. It wears out your compassion. It, it, it's just good to have another thing that is the point of focus in your, in, in your life. What was clear to me right away from all of these interviews was that no matter what uh, people were doing in the massage world or not doing in the massage world right now, they had a, a fondness for their career and for this, this whole world. Um, and that comes through too when we talked more about the decision to stop or pause their hands-on massage practice. And you will hear in their voices that there was a lot of thought and consideration um, and depth of emotion that went into these decisions. Here they are. Well, I, so I had been thinking about my exit for probably the last 
five or six years, not really sure what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. And then three years ago, when um, I, I took a full-time job at the university, I knew that I, I knew that I was not going to do massage professionally forever. But in the back of my head, I thought that I was going to keep my license and occasionally freelance or volunteer or just have it just to have it. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was kind of a mixed a mixed bag when I made the decision that, you know, I, I don't want to renew my license. I don't want to jump through all the hoops. And mm-hmm. even though it's not that much of an expense to maintain a license all the other things and then COVID on top of that just made the decision really easy that I didn't want to have to do that yeah so you mentioned that you're retired now correct Uh, how long have you been retired March 9th 2020 no (laughs) what is this 2022 yeah 2020 okay yeah okay So that was, that was the precipitating factor for you. I had been thinking of retiring over that last like year, year and a half prior to, um, one of the reasons being is that I was noticing some changes in my body, like hands hurting more joints hurting more, um, just some shifts in the way that my body was able to handle it. Um, as I was getting older. Um, and exactly how I wanted to, I, I tried many different things to change you know, body mechanics and it just wasn't working. So I kind of had a projected date in my mind of the things I wanted to accomplish before I was thinking at the time I was going to semi-retire, go down to part-time and then phase out. But COVID sort of sped all of that up a little bit. Uh, I, th- I closed my practice when I was about to give birth to my second child and I never went back into full-time practice. Um, I kept my license current, uh, in Washington, this was in Washington state that I moved from there to Maryland, which, which the, the license in Maryland at that time required all, I think all they required was a, like a negative venereal disease test. And I was, you know, I had two little kids. I was an at-home mom. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do a Maryland license. This just doesn't make sense. Later, we moved to Utah and I wanted to get back into practice, not to make money so much as just to be helpful. Mm-hmm. So I, I got my Utah license, had kept my Washington license current all during this. And then when I was in Utah, I did a lot of pro bono work. Just you know, working with neighbors, working with friends, started working uh, at a at a couple of different schools, and so once in a while would work with students, and I just wanted to do that legitimately and not like under the table. Yeah, but I was never interested in opening an office again ever. The truth of the matter is is that doing massage was never my favorite part of mm. this career path for me. Mm-hmm. I was okay. I was. Certainly I was competent and safe, but I, I would never have called myself particularly gifted um, or inspired by that part of the work. I, I, uh, I, and I felt ultimately that, um, you know, I wasn't hurting anybody, but I felt like my clients deserved someone who was more uh, excited about being with them. 
2019 in December, I was experiencing and had been probably experiencing for a while a significant burnout after what, 25 years or 24 years plus. And I had some um, family stressors um, that were contributing to that. Um, yeah, for why I was burnt out. And I just didn't, as one of my coworkers mentioned to a client after I had left, she just has nothing more to give. And that's, you know, I was psychologically drained. I was physically in pain and um, mentally, I guess, I don't know if bored is the right word, but I just had enough. And then um, I, that was December, and I had a leave of absence coming up because of a family responsibility um, in another city. And so that was a fortunate, I mean, that was a good time. You know, I didn't know what I was going to do when I went to this other city. I thought, well, maybe when I come back, I won't go back to work. Of course, as, in, as any of us who have made a big decision know and understand, the making of the decision is not the end of it. There is everything that comes after. And the same was true for all of, of the people we interviewed for this episode. Uh, making the decision, no matter how certain it was, um, came with some reverberations. And it was really interesting to me to hear how people expressed that um, and how it still resonated a little bit in their lives after massage. Okay, I'll start with the communication with the clients. Um, because of the nature of my practice, I worked with a lot of immunocompromised clients. Mm -hmm. So, you know, back at the beginning, it was just scaring everybody. You weren't getting information, then you were getting information, what, who, what, what was going on, what to believe. Um, it, it was an easy communication at the beginning, just because we were checking in and they indicated to me that they didn't want to come back until they felt it was safe also. Um, and my practice centered around a lot of uh, physician referrals, um, having a really wonderful teaching hospital in um, the Gainesville area. Um, and just being there for so long, I was getting a lot of, of, of referrals from doctors and things like that. And that just completely dried up, that went away. But I did keep it in communication with a, a lot of the clients, which, um, you know, like what we would talk over the phone. I can remember all the things that we talked about in session that you can do at home. Well, now's the time to do some of this stuff at home. So um, I didn't really start to miss the hands on until I ran into a client at a um, a grocery store. We had our masks on and she didn't recognize me, but I recognized her and I wanted to give her her personal space and where she was from the last time I saw her to that point, the issues that she has, you could tell were progressing. And I wanted to be able so bad to go have a conversation with her and, and, and see where, where we were. Um, so that was the very first time when I when I went, I really miss my people, I miss my practice, and I miss making a little bit of a difference. 
Um, not, you know, not to sound arrogant and stuff, but I knew from tracking her with measurements and things like that, that we were starting to make a good amount of progress before everything got halted. So that's, that's just one story. Um, having the hindsight being 2020 now, I do miss the interaction with, with everybody, but I must say that my, my body feels a lot better. Mm. And so on one hand, it was really easy. And on another hand, six months later, it was kind of, kind of sad. Yeah. Tell me more about that. So I realized that a couple of things. So prior to COVID, I was only doing massage on Thursdays and two Saturdays a month. Mm -hmm. And so my clientele was, I would say, 85, 90% regulars and, and, and regulars being people that saw me on a rig, you know, when they, when they, when they left for the day, they rescheduled to come back either a, the next week in a couple of weeks or in a month. So it's like the people that I saw, I'd been seeing for years mm-hmm. and I had a really good rapport. And when I came back after the, the first lockdown, um, I was probably 30%. And, mm-hmm. and, and so there was, there was just like a sense of like, I really miss the regular people that I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I realized that massage gave me an opportunity to hold people in total positive regard for an hour. Yeah. And there's not much talking, or at least there's not much talking in the way that I practice, I had some clients that were more talkative, but even then it was like totally usually focused on them. Yeah. And there was something about that, that I, I, I missed, you know, after a couple of months and it took me a while to realize that it's like, oh, like it's very rare that I sit with someone for and spend an hour with them and just kind of pour love on them. It's hard for me or difficult, or I struggle to have that just positive regard in like a really mm-hmm. consistent way. And it gave me something that I didn't realize I, I had. Of course, for some people, the pause or the leaving of hands-on work actually leads to a renewed commitment, either to, to the profession, to a different aspect of the profession. Um, and it also leads to some insight about what you're really good at and what is really important. And this is what we heard from Sherry Bergen and from Ruth, Ruth Warner. Mm. My mind was elsewhere. I am married to the clock. And that realization opened a lot of windows for me to understand where my strengths are. So I am really great at, uh, I'm, I'm terrific in the classroom. I'm really great at time management. I'm really great at allocating and making sure things get done. And, and, and that's my strength and my skill set. It is not stepping out of my way and letting the, letting the things happen. I, I, I didn't, I was going to say letting the work happen, but it's not, I don't think work is the best word, right? Mm. Letting the changes happen. I don't have that kind of patience and it's, uh, you know, now I'm 61 
And I am just now realizing <laughs> that I'm not just now realizing it, but I am constantly faced with the fact that it is very, very hard for me to just to be. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and if you can't just be with a person, mas the massage session room is probably not the place for you. It was different than before. I think before it was like a have to, a duty. And I don't know how to describe it. And when I came back, I set boundaries for myself and said, mm -hmm. this is not, I'm not going to just do whatever is desired of me. I'm really going to stop and make lim set limits on my time, on my energy. If I hear that, you know, somebody wants to come in on another day, I'm sorry, these are the days that I work and I'm not making, I'm not doing that anymore. Um, that was one decision. And I don't know if that means a commitment to the profession, but it's a commitment to myself. I just have a different outlook, different view of it. Of course, as Carrie and Corey and I talked about in our last episode um, about the question of leaving the massage profession, massage therapy is more than a thing that we do. For many of us, it is an identity. And certainly for the people we interviewed for this, um, there were aspects of that in their decision-making and in how they're experiencing life now. And okay. I think it took me that year away to, to claim it and say, no, you really are doing good work. Stop undercutting yourself. Stop devaluing what this profession is. I think I wouldn't have worked at it had it not been. But um, I, that was part of my recommitment was giving, um, was discarding all those negative um, opinions that would jump into my head. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, the shame is really interesting because I've had a, a couple people have talked about, and I think this is related, um, feeling like they let their profession down. Bingo. Well, so, well, so, so it, it's funny you bring, so that is part of like the story that I see playing out in massage sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, um, so for, for me, part of it, I think is I would hear massage, like I would talk about being burned out mm -hmm. and I would have massage therapists kind of minimize that. Whereas, you know, really? that, that, that whole narrative of, you know, well, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Oh. It, it, you know, it, mm -hmm. it's kind of toxic positivity. Yeah. Um, and, and so some of that is just maybe me getting stuck in somebody else's projection of what, you know, what should we should be doing, but I would talk about being burned out and people would just be like, what do you mean? And it's like, I don't know. I, I have, I have clients that are, um, you know, cosmetologists or, or they do, you know, they do barbers, things like that, where they're working yeah. like 10 hours a day, seeing people back to back. Yeah. And being like, they're working just as hard as I am doing just as many repetitive motions as I am. Mm -hmm. And I have no desire, I mean, like that would be, 
you know, to do eight solid hours of massage a day, five days a week, six days a week, that would be really good for my checking account. Mm-hmm. You know, that might be what I would need to, you know, I might be able to retire on that, mm-hmm. but I would be a horrible therapist. I would be a horrible husband. I would be a horrible employee mm-hmm. or boss. Um, and, and it was kind of like, huh, okay, so how do I, 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 I think that for me, like doing five hours of, of, of massage, you know, if I did that daily, like that was about as much as I could give. Yeah. Um, but it's not quite as financially rewarding. Like that extra three hours really makes a big difference at the end of the week. Yes. And, uh, interesting, um, a piece of that for myself, and I'll just make this story really quick. Um, going to a, uh, my primary care physician identified something. So I had to go to um, another referral physician and this um, about some scar tissue issues that I was having. Long story short, my, my primary physician knows that I'm a licensed massage therapist that, you know, I taught and did the book and stuff. So I go to this new guy and he spends 20 minutes explaining scar tissue to me. (laughs) And he goes, I see you're a a retired masseuse. And I'm like, oh, what, what battles do I want to win? And what, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's a teaching moment probably, but that was the first time that it was like, oh, okay. What, how do I handle this situation? Cause I'm retired. So I just, you know, let him go. I don't know if that's relevant to, to what you asked, but that's going from being respected or something or having an understanding that you have some basic knowledge to, yeah. And the relationship between some of the, the scarring that I have and what's made the difference for me and why I got into this was because of massage therapy um, and trying to explain that to the doctor and you could just see the eyes glazing over. I'm like, there's more work to be done. <laughs> but luckily and fortunately, the, um, I think over the, the time that I was teaching classes and Kathy and I were teaching classes, just seeing a lot of the therapists that really understood the information and they're going out now and doing phenomenal work. Mm-hmm. And they're much younger and they have much more energy. So it's like, you know, I, I bless their path and, and, and know that they're out there doing really good, solid work. So um, when the time comes, they will be available to make the physicians understand about how therapeutic massage helps the lymphatics and the scarring and oncology and, you know, the whole, the whole role. So. Of course, in the way of many of us who have had experiences and have left them behind or have been involved in something for a long time. We have ideas for to help along people who are newer, people who might be considering the same things that we went through. And the people that I interviewed were so generous with their ideas for you as a human being, for the profession, and for how we can all move forward together. So here you will hear from everyone with some advice, uh, some philosophical musings on the massage therapy profession, some ideas about what we could all be doing to lift each other up. I, well, just I want to reemphasize the importance of 
setting boundaries. I mean, early in your career and taking that on as a responsibility to self. Otherwise you will not have to give to others. And, uh, and you know, I don't know what else. That's, that's, that's the boundary setting. It's really important taking time for one. Primarily they're, what are their reasons? Everybody has different reasons, health reasons. Um, you know, and, and during that time when I was trying to decide if I was going to come back part-time or not, there were some personal things that happened with, you know, family members being ill or passing on that needed my attention. So I was able to give that freely um, and not have to worry about my practice. Or uh, I would just say, you know, really take a look at all of the reasons why you want to want to leave. Is it necessary to leave or you know, do you cut your hours or is it, does it take a different shape or form for you? But if you really want to go, um, just make sure you have your, uh, your money situation taken care of, or you, or you know, where you're going to bounce once, you know, the massage practice ends. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I think that's why by me being able to start my massage practice in my early forties, I had already had a base kind of but if for those that that don't um that's that's huge right there it's like how 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 do you plan on living and paying your bills and if you've got that figured out there's always ways to be able to um to keep your hand in it if you're you know continuing education teacher that's starting to open up again um you know uh, doing online classes or forums and things like that are are you know one way to keep your to keep your hand in it for sure. When you know it's time or those thoughts start going into your head, that's the time to kind of start to formulate your plan if you're, when and if you're gonna retire. Mm -hmm. um, and if you can do it and your, your heart's in it, then by all means. One thing that one, uh, one of my colleagues said is she had retired from massage. Gosh, she was out of it for about two years and uh, when, I had coffee with her and we were talking about, okay, so how do you do this? And what do you do when you have special clients? And I had already um, had some over the telephone say, look, can you come to my house? And she's like, you have to make a decision for the boundaries for yourself. If you're going to do it for one, you're going to wind up doing it for another one. And then you're going to be schlepping your table all over. If that's what you want to do, you know, that's, that's fine. But if you want to cut it off and really cut it off, then that's the, that's the time to do the referrals and, and to say no. And it's oh so hard. It's like the lady I was talking about that I saw in the grocery store of wanting to go, but understanding that you, know, you have that boundary. And if you cross it one time, I know my heart would be calling five or six people going, you got time? Sure. I, I think I, I emailed Alyssa Haynes. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I and I was like, hey, um, have you ever helped anybody write a resume for a, a non, you know, for a non-massage related career? And she's like, what are you talking about? And it's like, well, I'd like to apply to other jobs, but like I look at the, you know, I look at a resume and I'm just like, you know, rub backs is not. <laughs> yeah, it's not on there. <laughs> 
and it's there, right? Like, like the skills are there's there's a lot of skills there. There's a lot of like, you know, I can pay attention like a fool. You know, I like I can be very attentive. Like I can be very dependable. Yeah. Um, but you know, I can problem solve. Like I can really mm -hmm. listen to somebody, and you know, help you know help them think about what's going on. Or I can mm -hmm. just really attend to somebody and you know try to so I think this goes back to our conversation around advanced care planning where mm -hmm. it's like I can really dig into like what matters most to someone and, mm -hmm. and help draw that out and I, I don't know that um, that uh, that would necessarily translate to a, a, a resume for a I'm terrible like if you posted a job and mm -hmm. I didn't know you. Like I'm terrible at applying for things. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really, I, I'm pretty good at building relationships, and that's how I, that's how I got my job at the university. Is I developed relationships around things that I was interested in, mm -hmm. that I that I found other people were interested in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if I had just applied for that job blind, I probably wouldn't have got it. Right. Um. Yeah. It, to, to be honest, I, I, and I and I think that I wish that I had. I don't know. I, well, I did. Sometimes I wish massage had a, a bachelor's degree. You know, I wish we had higher ed that was connected to it, and I can see how that would limit lots of people from being able to come to school. Yeah. And and there's a certain charm to. Um, local massage schools that are owned, you know, independently that are, you know, really able to craft themselves in a way that, that they've developed over time. And it's not just a, although some of that's probably getting lost in some of the testing. I, yeah. I, I, suspect. I, I mean, they have, you know, five to 750 hours. Right. I, I, I mean, I think that a lot of this is developed through mentorship and relationships that are post-graduation. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and my judgment is that most young massage therapists are gonna be so busy mm -hmm. um, just trying to make ends meet that they're not gonna develop that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, people leave our, our, our profession in five to seven years. I, I mean, you know, the, the large majority. So you think about the number mm -hmm. of massage therapists that stick with it that have more than 10 years, you know, have good heartfelt conversations with people that you know and trust, mm. or at least people that are going to listen to you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it really helps if you have a support, you know, if, if you have a supportive significant other, or, you know, at least a, a good friend. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm trying to think of like anything else. I don't, I, so there is part of me that I'm afraid that if, if and when COVID goes away, I, I'm going to regret not having a license that I could, you know, go out and do hospice massage therapy. Hmm. Um, I, I think that I'll, at some point I will regret that. Um, but for me, it was, it was partially a, a financial and partially a bureaucratic and there was lots of decisions that were made for me where I was just like I don't I don't have to worry about it but 
or you know in 20 years when my, my wife opens a bed and breakfast and I, I i can't just do massage yeah i mean i might do time massage you know I, I might get trained in something where i don't have to be licensed in the state that i'm working yeah yeah but you know that's a consideration that i could you know it, it wouldn't be proper for me to hang a shingle up saying i do massage therapy right which is weird because it's part of my identity and i didn't realize how much it was um to be a really good and successful massage therapist you have to have especially a solo practitioner you have to have completely incompatible skill sets because you have to have this ability to create the sacred pink bubble right the the, the sacred space between you and your client and you also have to be an extrovert who goes out and broadcasts about how how great your work is and how much people's lives would be benefited if they came to see you and um you know all the marketing stuff all the things which are true mm-hmm. but but take a really different kind of energy level than it takes to to step back into your session room right um and i kind of love that about massage therapy but it makes it really really hard to be a solo practitioner I think if we had a culture in the profession and, and other professions do this uh, under, the, under the umbrella called professional supervision or peer, sorry, peer supervision, mm-hmm. right? Um, then we would have ways to communicate with each other about the things that make us really excited and joyful and the things that make us bang our head against the wall. And I think among the other among many things that would change in the profession is I think we would probably find better longevity mm-hmm. um, because you can know that you're not the only person who's going through this. I mean, think about imposter syndrome and how sometimes you just need someone else to tell you, hey, I was on your table last week. It was awesome. Get over yourself, right? So, <laughs> um, you know, I think, I, think, I think we'd have better career longevity. I think we'd have better uh, support for making the hard decisions say about when it's time to fire a client, um, or when it's time to ask for a raise or when it, you know, when it's time to, to do some hard things, to have a community of people who can share that difficulty, um, could make the whole profession be able to step up into its responsibilities a little better. I find so I teach a class called um, the ethics of client communication, talking to your clients about their health. And it is based on what is now the basis of my podcast, which is I have a client who stories, right? So I, I set up some sort of guidelines about communication. Um, and then we break into small groups and people, and I, and I hand out these scenarios of real life things that have happened to real people in real massage settings. Like, you know, you uncover your client's leg and they have a rash and you don't know what is. And they say, oh, that thing. Yeah. What do you think that is? Right. And so how do you conduct the rest of that conversation? And that's exactly the sort of thing that should happen in peer supervision groups, right? Is people saying, this guy had this rash. I'd never seen it before. I didn't know what to do. Um, So that people can share, you know, things that work, communication skills that work, information that might be useful. And I find that with that ethics class, when I, when I have been able to do it live, people 
are so hungry. People are starving to be able to have conversations about weird and challenging things that happen to them in mid-session. And we don't have built into our profession appropriate ways to do that. You know, I know someone who recently left the profession because actually I've known a few people who left the profession because, because they went to grad school and they found something that really floated their boat and they're going in another direction now. And I wish that we had more people stick around who found that in grad school and, and learning specifically learning about research, mm-hmm. um, would keep them invested in the profession instead of driven in another direction. Yeah. Um, cause we need them. Right. Yeah. That speaks to yeah. a whole different issue about needing a way for massage, for, for massage therapists who want to stay in massage to be able to get advanced degrees in their chosen profession. Well, you know, I think we've identified two things, you know, one is to promote the creation of peer supervision groups. I, you know, I think that's one thing. I also think that creating an education path for, let's say you want to be involved in massage, but the hands-on work is not like, I have a friend who, who went through massage school. She's a brilliant therapist, a brilliant thinker. She has Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And her hands and wrists are just not going to do it for her. And she's out completely. I wish I recruited her to be a writer. It was not her thing. Um, But, uh, you know, I would love to see an an, an educational career path where people could go into research and stay connected in massage. And we have those examples with Nikki Monk and uh, Anne Blair Kennedy. You know, but between research, after research and education, what else is there? There's, there's organizing for massage to be offered in community service settings, in hospital settings. Um, that's, again, a different skill set, maybe with a public health kind of background behind it. Right. Um, but the options for people to be to be engaged in this profession who are not you know who are not working specifically with clients they are they are somewhat limited. Yeah. So the first thing I would say about this is um, nothing is ever wasted, and so um, every decision you make, whether it's conscious or not, is informed by all your previous experiences, and uh, hopefully made more wise by all of your previous experiences. And so I think that deciding on a career change is not a mark of a failure, it's a mark of, a, of growth. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I think another really, really important piece of advice is to do maybe a bit of a self audit about what your strengths are. What are the things you, about your work, specifically your work in massage, that you love the most? What gives you juice and energy? And can you envision a way, can you envision a life where that's mostly what you get to do, right? And so if your strength, if your joy, if your water fountain comes from the look on your client's faces when they realize they can move their neck without pain, that's the pathway to follow if that's the thing that makes you happiest. 
if the thing that makes you happiest is um, being in a classroom with people who walk in saying, I am never going to get this and then have them walk out going, wow, I got it, which was mine. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a, you know, then you create a life where you get to do a bunch of that. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's a matter of, and this, I, this doesn't happen overnight and it's a moving target sometimes, but I think if you, if, if, if most people did a really serious little audit of what gives you joy, what really floats your boat about the work that you do and can then, then that can guide us into answering this question. How can I fix, how can I adjust, make an adjustment so that my life has a lot more of that stuff in it. You may not be able to get rid of all the stuff you hate, right? It may not be something where you can afford to hire someone to come in and do your laundry or do your marketing or do your books. Um, but if you, you know, that's what you pay for the joy of doing a thing that you love, which is why you're here. Thank you to Sherry Bergen, Nancy Keeney-Smith, Justin Magnuson, and Ruth Werner for their sharing their time and their stories with us for this episode. I am Rebecca Sturgeon, Healwell's Education Director, and I thank you very much for listening and for your support of Healwell and for this podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, I invite you to join us at the Healwell community. That's community.healwell.org, where we are continuing this conversations as well as lots of interesting other conversations. Um, so check it out. Join us there. If you want to hear more from the people who were featured on today's episode, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash interdisciplinary. One of the bonus features for our Patreons is the full unedited interviews from all the people featured in today's episode, and you'll find lots of other goodness there um, at our Patreon. If you would like to share your story or if you have some comments about this episode or any of our episodes, please email us at podcast at healwell.org. Thanks for listening. Interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. New episodes are available weekly through your favorite podcast outlet. Uh, and you can send us an email at podcast at healwell.org. That's podcast at healwell.org. Thanks for listening.